You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is John Cheery. He is founder and CEO of John Marshall Media. We'll find out a little bit more about them, but they are one of the world's largest, if not the largest, producer of independent audiobooks. They also do a lot of audio work for ESL, foreign language teaching programs. I'm excited to talk to John. I've known John for a while through EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization here in the New York City area. And I've kind of had a chance to see him grow his business and pivot at various times. We're recording this in August of 2020. So we're kind of a couple months into this pandemic thing. And I'm always curious to talk with service-based companies and how how they've kind of changed either strategically or operationally kind of deal with the situations. And so I'm excited to kind of hear John in terms of what he's done, how he's moved some of the business um, process around and looking forward to kind of getting the update on the story. So with that, John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bruce. I was really flattered that you invited me on. So uh, thank you very much. So yeah, so what you know, you started off by talking about COVID, which is obviously what all <laughs> any of us can talk about that you know at this at this time. So yeah, that was I remember watching that thing coming, right? Yeah, and and, um, and so so you know the question is you know what did we do around that, right? So our business, yeah. Well, let's actually. So let's go. Let's go back. Let's give people some context. I I know all about you. Oh, okay. <laughs> the audience, yeah. So, so yeah. Give us the story so, because I know that this the the business that you ended up in now, or I guess you know nine months ago before COVID hit, had some uh, had some story to it. There were some pivots. I don't think in the kindergarten, you know, the teacher asks you what do you want to do, and you want to say you want to produce audiobooks. You know, there's there are some shifts there. <laughs> they were books on tape back then, Bruce. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, my story is a story of pivots. You know, so yeah. so. I, I grew up in, you know, Southwest Missouri. I wanted to be a rock star. I had the, the standard issue mullet that we uh, had in the eighties. And, nice. um, so <laughs> I'll get, I'll get a copy of the photo, which we'll put in the show. I, notes I, for I you. got some I can send to you. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. I'm going to regrow it. I think it's such an awesome cut. So, you know, I really, I was very driven. That was really my, my thing as drive is so I always was able yeah. to, you know, they, that gift of just, you know, going after it. So, you know, i and I guess I wanted out of Missouri too. I, I love it there, but it just wasn't really my personality. So basically, I just practiced all the time and became, you know, in my own opinion, the you know best drummer in Southwest Missouri. Well, I got accepted to go to the Berkeley College of Music in Boston, which is a very prestigious music school, and so that was wonderful. So I went, you know, went from being, you know, the best drummer in Southwest Missouri to the, you know, the worst drummer at Berkeley. I felt like it was just one of my classmates. I saw him years later. I was watching the Super Bowl, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, that's Abe Laboreal playing." with Paul McCartney on the Super Bowl. I guess the kind yeah. of the level of guys I was playing with, you know. And um, so that was the, the plan, right? Well, you know, I then I pivoted, realizing that, okay, I'm not very good at this and that makes it not fun. So I got into music production and engineering there. And I really went from being, you know, in one of the worst drummers in the drum department to being really one of the best recording guys. I really, really 
that just was a sweet spot for me, right? And, you know, one of the things I've really learned is that we need to go with a flow a certain amount, right? It's good to have drive, but, you know, once you, you know, pursue something to its end, if it's not going to work, doing it over and over again ain't going to get you any better results, right? So, so it was really nice to then feel that success and like, wow. And so then, you know, and then, I wanted to get into to, to music and producing albums, maybe. And so I got recommended for jobs in New York at recording studios, which, you know, in all honesty, were, I can't remember, like seven or eight dollar an hour jobs pouring coffee, and, you know, cleaning consoles in New York. And um, and then when I got here in the it was in the early 90s now, it was all hip hop. And, you know, I'm from Missouri and I was born on, you know, raised on Bon Jovi. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm literally working with Tupac Shakur. And I'm like, I don't know what this music is. I don't get this. And it was dangerous and somebody got shot in the studio and one, one night anyway. So oh, I got out of that and, uh, got, you know, so again, pivot, 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 right. You know, go in, I get into commercials. So I was doing some commercials work and then that wasn't really kind of going anywhere for me. And then, you know, books on tape, we call them. That <laughs> I now, still, right? I show um, my age every now and again I, by calling them <laughs> books on tape. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, that's what they were when yeah. I started out, they were going on cassettes. And so, um, so I got into, got into that and that was like, you know, I was, again, seeing a lot of successes in the mid-90s, and it was before Audible started, right? The internet certainly, you know, existed, but that was when we used to have to listen to that amazing uh, modem sound every time we dialed up, right? You know, and so um, um, Audible didn't start until around 2000. So, you know, I was doing really well um, because one of my, you know, talents or whatever, my gifts, has been doing, delivering what I say I'm going to deliver when I say I'm going to deliver it. Right. It's a good and, gift. <laughs> and that to me is the heart of probably yeah. any service. Right. I mean, that's kind of the heart of any any service business. Right. You know, when we're talking really about service businesses. So, you know, and just doing that like all the time was a yeah, great exactly. sales technique, <laughs> meaning that you yeah. get recommended over and over again. And that's I think, you know, often in service businesses, we, we always want to find that magic marketing bullet, you know, that uh, funnel, a sales funnel, but man, it's hard, you know, the word, but the word of mouth, right? Whew, always works. And so, Hey, you know, if that's what it's going to be, you just got to be awesome on every job because you're yeah. really only as good as your last job. So yeah, so that's what, you know, I found in audiobooks and then, um, and then, you know, uh, we also do a lot of uh, educational programs, how to speak English, how to speak. We've done 29 different languages over the years, you know, Vietnamese, yeah. Thai, every, every is crazy. And so, um, Again, just constantly delivering, constantly delivering. I remember, you know, speaking of them being on cassette back then, I remember sleeping on the floor of my studio because what I would have to do is I'd edit these programs and they would be very long. They could be like 10, 20. Well, the Harry Potter book that we did was like 29 hours long. Well, they were mastered. We call that mastering, right? When you roll it, roll it off, all final, sweetened, sounding beautiful. It needed to be mastered for cassette sides, 45-minute cassette sides. So I would finish the project, but then I had to lay it back off the final tape. Mm-hmm. Again, this is what it was back then. I would. I remember I had in a file cabinet. I think it was the only thing in my file cabinet was a was a sleeping bag, and um, and I had a watch. It had a timer on it. And so what I would do is I would set the computer to roll off onto the cassette and set for forty five minutes my alarm clock to go off in forty five minutes. And I would do that all night, many days a week. And that was what, you know, just to make sure I could hit those deadlines, rolling off all that tape back then. So, yeah. uh, because again, I had to yeah. deliver it all the time, you know. So for me, it's, you know, I use the word integrity. Integrity is really my one thing. And, um, and, and that, but that's what I've really built my, my business on. And by the way, and a good credit rating, this is like, I just told the story the other day and I've forgotten about it. When I was in high school, somehow I had found a book on mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. 
right? I'm trying to think how, you know, this is like back, that was pre-internet, definitely pre-internet back then. It was like in the 80s. And God knows how I found this book, probably in my school library. And one of the things I remember reading was is that, you know, if you want to start a business, you need to get credit cards. This is like funny. You need to get credit cards because you're going to have a great idea and no one's going to want to Do fund it. Yourself. it you can always use your credit it. cards to start it up. Right. And so, you know, so I went to, you know, I graduated high school in 89. I remember going to Berkeley and, and as I was walking into Berkeley, they're handing out credit cards like candy. I mean, that was like mm-hmm. actually a problem yeah. for most kids like around that time. I don't know if you remember that around then. A lot of kids got into big trouble. Well, I grabbed like, you know, I don't remember how many credit cards they handed me. I grabbed them all. And I remember that the thing said that the thing said that the way to get a great credit rating is to put something on your credit card and then pay it off. So I remember once a month I would go out to eat at like, you know, Pizzeria Uno or something. That was expensive for me, right, back then. And um, and then I would just pay it at you know, 20 bucks, whatever it was, and I'd just pay it off. And by the time I graduated college, my credit yeah. rating was outstanding. I had like three credit cards with zero balances yeah. and they were getting paid off all the time. So much so I was often confused whenever, like when I went to get my car insurance, they signed me up for a much lower rate. And then they realized later that I was younger than I was, but the guy yeah. got confused because my credit rating was so high. And that was how I ended up starting my, my like I had, I had a job you know, doing those commercials and I quit that job. But then I, you know, I started getting on Seth's side gigs, these uh, audio book gigs. So I had to buy my first yeah. uh, computer, digital audio workstation. And back then they were expensive. I put 10 grand on my credit cards back then. And, um, and then I just, uh, I would get free. They used to have free introductory uh, rates. Like if you, if you change to a new credit card. Yep. And you get like 12 months, no interest or 18 months, no interest. It would be 0% for, I don't know, six months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I would do that. I would like, bam, 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 bam. I had I on my paper calendar back then. I had every six months, change credit card, change credit card. I did that for years. Oh, yeah. The rolling game. Yeah. yeah. And it worked really, really good. I felt like I finally, you know, yeah. Johnny scored on those big, bad banks, those guys. I'm curious on that. Do you see, I mean, it sounds like at one level you've had, or you can choose to be very cautious and very kind of risk adverse, right? Like be very careful yes. with credit cards, like, you know, use them very strategically, you know, to go, don't get tempted. But then, you know, when you see the opportunity, when you see the, you know, the, the chance to, you know, get the computer and start the business or, you know, an opportunity to really invest, then it's kind of an all in <laughs> or, uh, you know, yeah, I'll put 10 grand on it. I mean, how I'm kind of curious how you kind of see your own risk profile and how that's played out as you've kind of dealt with various business situations and when you've kind of taken a yeah. cautious approach, when you've taken a more aggressive, hey, let's, I mean, let's roll the dice on this. To me, I'm very risk averse, but I'm sure some people will be say that. Well, for an entrepreneur. <laughs> Maybe. Well, see, I wonder though. I wonder, Bruce. Yeah. Like we talk about that in my EO forum mm-hmm. group, like in, in a lot of, we all call ourselves risk averse, which I, really? I don't know if that's just self-deception or I don't know what, but whenever we see something we do go after it now i do remember a conversation i had with my dad with that about that credit card right because that was like i was like oh my god and i really understood credit ratings back then and i was like oh dude if i blow this thing and my dad said to me i'll never forget this you know i thank him for this almost every year and he, he said he said john you see you get opportunity you're already making money doing this and what you're 20 i was like you know whatever 20 whatever he's like so let's say you do this you totally screw it up and you got to declare bankruptcy. You're 20 something years old. Who cares? Yeah. Right. So, so that made the risk clear to me, right? There was no real risk. Obviously that would have sucked. Yeah. Right. But it was not unrecoverable. Yeah. And I think that's what we talk about when it's maybe entrepreneurs understand the risks a little better and it's always about hedging, right? You know, mm-hmm. I love the word hedge. Cause I remember seeing an advertisement in the subway and it had the big word that said hedge. And it said, 
if the first thing that came to your mind was a bush, don't call us. If a risk profile came into your mind, give us a call. Yeah. It, was a, it was like a jobs ad for like, I don't know, whatever, some investment yeah. firm. It was really funny. But and when I saw it hedge, the very first thing that popped into my head was hedging my bet. Yeah. And that's what I'm always trying to do is, hey, if I screw this up, how bad off am I going to be? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of my big losers was an ebook platform that I did. And, and Bruce, there was no way this thing was going to lose, buddy. <laughs> there was no way. 100% guaranteed. <laughs> I just guarantee, it just can't lose. I had all the connections. I was with the publishers. I had Grammys and, you know, yeah. for audiobooks, And I knew everybody. And I had this ebook platform right at the right time. And it was niche targeted. And I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on that thing. Yeah. Well, you know what? In the end, it was obviously that you're laughing because because it was a loser. Oh, yeah. It lost. And uh, <laughs> and but the thing is, is that I made a calculated bet. I lost on it. I'd rather had that couple hundred grand in my bank account, mm-hmm. but I don't. I needed to take that bet. Yeah. Right. Once you're at a certain place, you're taking your business as, as a CEO. You know, one of our many roles is to figure out ways to grow the business. You can grow it in your main business lines, mm-hmm. right? So mine are audiobooks and educational stuff and now podcasting, but I need to find new areas of business in order to grow the business. That's how it stays healthy, right? That's what we're told over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I um, mean, it's true. So that's my job. Yeah. My job was to try that and I blew it. You know, does it my fault? It's, I don't know, whatever. It'll be a different podcast, but, <laughs> but that's what I believe my role is. Yeah. And I'm and if I had to do it over again, I would have done the same damn thing. Now, what I, what I would have done different is I would have quit it earlier. Because I, think. Yeah. I, I was about 100,000. I should have started seeing that there was no flow on this. Yeah. That it was it was one of these software things where I would get meetings. Like I remember like having meetings with the CEO of Pearson Education and like talking about all this stuff. And yeah. I came, well, you know, we like it. But if you'd add this feature and then I was in that thing. And I, I guess... I knew the the MVP, right? The minimally viable product. I knew that as a, as a word and a concept, but I didn't have it in my heart. Yeah. And I should have known that if they don't like yeah, exactly. the version that not, works, they're not they don't it. like yeah. then they ain't going to buy it, right? And I spent $100,000 on features. And so that was my only regret about that. Yeah. But that's my role. Well, and I like that's that because I, I think, and I talk about this you know, a lot with my clients and the, and, the, and the companies I work with, is this whole idea of calculated risk, right? So it's not that, I mean, there, you can be risk-seeking in an um, you know, uncalculated way, right? Like I'm just willing to go into it without really doing the research or without really thinking through the options or, as you said, you know, limiting my downside. But then there's really a calculated risk side of things, which I think is a, a super important skill because early stage growth company that takes no risk is not going to go anywhere, really. But you also can't just be willy-nilly in terms of what you get into. Like you're really looking at what are the risks and what are the potential downsides? How do I mitigate those? How do I hedge against those? Yeah. Any strategies, techniques? Uh, do you go on long hikes? Do you meditate? Like what's the process that you use to really kind of think through when faced with an opportunity to kind of gather the data, mm-hmm. assess the data, really figure out where those risks are and how you're going to mitigate them. Any any strategies you use that you could share? Yeah, I have a few. So the first one is, again, what is my downside? I'm always looking at the downside. And, um, you know, and it's funny, even my, my I have a 13-year-old twin girls and they when they talk about downside risk, they, they know it. They'll be, they'll, I love it. When they'll say, I don't know what the downside is on that, they'll say, right? I love it. So, <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing is that I, I don't want to take a risk that I'm going to lose the farm on, yeah. right? That's really where it is. And there, there's a lot of gut checks with me. Will I be angry with myself? Ooh, Will I look in the mirror and say, if I didn't take the opportunity? Yeah. See, if I wouldn't have done that ebook, 
gamble. I'd be looking at myself now thinking, gee, John, yeah. you could have, right? But now I know I couldn't Yeah. because I tried, yeah. right? The same way, you know, I tried to be a rock star. Well, damn it, I tried, man. I practiced eight hours a day in college. I practiced eight hours a day on top of my classes. Yeah. I would sleep in the drum practice rooms yeah. they had at Berkeley. I would yeah. sleep in there with my drums. Which is the nice thing about being 20 is you can sleep anywhere. But... <laughs> You know, it's like you've got to have the drive to make it work, but you and you've got to take certain risks because you've got to live with yourself. You know, I know now that I could not be a rock star because, man, if anybody could have done it, I could have. I, I you know, was joking about being the worst drummer at Berkeley, and I, you know, I might have been in the bottom part of the class, but I was, but in the rest of the world, I was. It's, it's like being the dumbest person at Harvard. Yeah, right? it's like yeah, it's, exactly. it's like you're you're pretty up there, dude. So so um. I tried it, man. I tried it. And that's... Well, yeah, I like this idea. You're 100% certain it wasn't going to work. <laughs> or I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. do it. And it yeah. was my fault. It wasn't... But the, yeah. regardless, the flow wasn't there yeah. for me. Right? And so, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of stuff for me. So, yeah, you do that calculation. Am I going to lose the farm? Am I going to like, you know... And But there's also a lot of gut checks for me. What does a gut me, check feel you know, like for you? Yeah, I'm curious. Like what how do you how do you check the feeling in? is important to me. And I and I looking back on it, you know, I've become very spiritual and mm-hmm. in, in my more experienced years, I'll say, right? In my experience. Yeah. But I realize I've always gone with that because I think the way I think of these things is is that, you know, we take in so much information all the time, mm-hmm. right? Just just you know, we read, we listen, we whatever. We're taking in all this information, but I think we even get feelings from people that make, and it all stuffs in our brain, more stuff than we can even possibly talk about. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, we have a gut reaction to something and it'll feel a certain way. And you will be like, no, I'm not doing that, you will say. And someone would ask you why. And then you'll kind of go, this happens to me. And I, people get frustrated with me sometimes. I'm, I'm just like, don't ask me because I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't tell you, I can't explain. I, I can't, and I can, but, I, but then if you give me a little while, it'll, it'll start kind of seeping out because it's, I allow myself not to intellectualize yeah. it because I know a lot of times the reasons why we say we are going to do it are probably not even true. Well, yes, they tend to be justifications of, of what's already decided. I mean, do you think this is, is our, this a, like a, a subconscious knowledge thing. It's like you absorb all this data, you absorb all this knowledge, your subconscious is able to process that and deal with it and kind of makes the decision. But it's just because you can't communicate directly with your subconscious. It's like you kind of need to go, like that's the gut. Like that's your subconscious kind of telling you, yeah, don't do this one. Well, that's made it sound way smarter than I would have made it sound. But yeah, I think there is a lot of that, right? I think there is a lot. Like I even make it a habit of not taking notes for some things. I mean, obviously if we're talking about numbers or something Mm -hmm. like that, I tend to not want to take notes because it depends. I might write down keywords and I might write down, you know, if, I, if I'm in a, if I'm in a meeting or something like that, I might put a, a word or a phrase that sticks with me, but I just want to stay with the person I'm with and take all that in and just kind of let it sit with me. I've always been that way. It's always felt strong to me. And now that I am more spiritual, now that I do meditate, that becomes even more important yeah. to me. Right. And I get in, you know, at times whenever I'm, it's hard to know when I'm, when I'm pushing, right. When I'm pushing something against the flow, or when I'm in the flow of what's going on, right? And, you know, I've actually been having, Bruce, I'm actually having, like, literally right now, I have a feeling in my gut that things aren't going right. So let me just give you a little background. Yeah. So, so I just, six weeks ago, I established residency in Puerto Rico. I'm right, I'm, I'm right now talking to you in Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. So um, there's um, something called Act 20, and you guys can Google this. Oh, um, it's great for entrepreneurs. And, uh, but that's not what this podcast is going to be about. But so I'm, I moved down here. And I'm already put within six weeks, I've already put, I'm in contract on a home and 
things are moving fast and I can't tell if I'm in the flow or if I'm starting to pop out of it. But the way it feels in my gut, I'm afraid I might be popping out of it. I'm not quite sure where or why, because, you know, at the same time, I'm managing my cash flow on my business right now. My, my business is growing, mm-hmm. which is an amazing blessing in COVID, which means my cash is low. Yeah. Right. So you know how that works, yeah. obviously. So when I look at my bank account, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not a profitable business. But then when I look at my cash flow projection and my profitability, I go, ooh, that's a very good business. Yeah. But when I see the bank account, that makes my stomach do that thing. So then, <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so this is right now, I've got a lot of complications in my life. And so I have been spending some extra time with myself, mm-hmm. I call that, with some meditating in different ways. But literally, I'll just kind of meditate or I'll walk on things or kind of just let myself spend too long on a spreadsheet, which is another way that I can kind of meditate on something, yeah. right? Because, you know, when people, there are theories about how you're supposed to meditate and there are ways, but, and there are ways I meditate when I'm trying to do that, like uh, find the meditator thing. But then there are times when I meditate on something, right? And that will require an outside tool, like a spreadsheet or, you know, just to kind of absentmindedly dink around on the spreadsheet. And then that will trigger more ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So my spreadsheets, you'll see I have the numbers, like the driving the drivers in a pricing proposal I'm working on right now. And as I kind of move those numbers around a little bit, all of a sudden at the bottom, you'll see questions, Right. Because I'm always trying to ask questions. I love it. Actually, you know, I'm just, I'm realizing, like, I, I certainly have had times, and sometimes it's like programming or a spreadsheet when, like, I get a feeling that something's not right, just something's not adding up. And while, you know, the, it may look okay, like, I just intuitively, you know, and I will just sort of sit back and look at the spreadsheet or look at the code, maybe for like five, 10 minutes. And, and then all of a sudden, I'll just be like, you know what? I think I need to look at this. I need to look at this cell or I need to look how this piece is working. And sure enough, you know, it's there. And I, my kind of thinking around it is like, I'm too in my head about it. And if I just kind of yeah. relax kind of my executive function a little bit and just kind of let my mind just kind of play with it, like it figures it out. Yes. And I kind of need to just mm-hmm. get out of the way. Yeah. That executive thing can be awesome. I mean, that's kind of what makes us humans amazing, yeah. right? Because we, because we can focus on things, because we can imagine things that don't exist, right? Because mm-hmm. we make, we make shit up yeah. and that's right. That's kind of our, our superpower, yeah. Yeah. but we also make shit up. <laughs> I, always, and, I always say every entrepreneur has to be somewhat self-delusional <laughs> because otherwise you'd never get into the business. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, because well, we know the numbers on, you know, 90% yeah. of all businesses fail in the first, mm-hmm. well, I can be the, the one. Yeah. But again, did I think I was going to be running a multi-million dollar operation sitting in a home in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. you know, when I started out? No, not really. But I knew that my downside risk was, I would have tried it and declared bankruptcy and been out of it by 32 years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, me and millions of other guys that age, yeah, you exactly. know, I wouldn't have been a big, you know, so to go back to our downside risk. I'm curious, like, since we're kind of in this decision-making stuff, I, one of the things that I always really try to make sure teams do well is review the decisions they've made. And the reason is that I think people often get caught up in one of two kind of problematic sort of logical kind of or illogical outcomes on things. And that in certainly in high growth entrepreneurial kind of situations, you're dealing with uncertainty, which means that you never are hundred percent certain about anything. And generally we're pushing to get to some kind of like 70 to 80% confidence level in making decisions. But the fact is, is you're always going to have, you know, you're going to have chance, right? You're going to have rolls of the dice. And while, you know, a die will only show up, you know, a one, one sixth of the time, 
it's still going to show up every once in a while. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really focus on with teams and executives is after you've made a decision and then you've seen the outcome is being able to go back and say, well, did I make the right decision or not? And you have to be aware of the fact that you may have right, made the right decision and just had a bad outcome. You may have rolled snake eyes. But if, if you were in that situation again, you should still make that bet. You should still go that path. And you shouldn't get thrown off by the fact that you had a bad outcome and vice versa. Just because no. you, you can make a bad decision and get lucky and <laughs> have a good outcome, that doesn't mean you made a good decision. There are no – see, that where what's hard for me uh-huh. is there are no bad decisions. There is the decision that you made. We, the decision – at what, we make our decisions with all the best information that we had at the time. Uh-huh. Period. Right? We cannot. One of the. I guess it's a blessing that I've never second guessed my decisions, and because because whenever I look back, I look back at you know two months ago, Johnny, or mm-hmm. or, or whatever you know two years ago, Johnny, that made that particular decision. Well, look, that was what I thought was right at the time. I would have done the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Being in that situation, I. Would with the information that I had, I would have made that decision again. So it's a bad decision, a good decision. The outcome does not dictate if it was a good yeah. decision or not. The outcome dictates the outcome. The outcome exactly. Period. <laughs> yeah. Over now. Yeah. I mean, it's not. You know what I mean? It's not. So that's. I guess, and that's. You know, I see people struggle with regrets. Mm, yeah. Boy, that sucks. And I and I. I wish I could tell you that I had struggled with that and. And, um, you know, like, <laughs> you know, there is like literally when I think of regrets, I remember being, you know, as a, as a young 20 something being way too young, way too drunk in a bar mm-hmm. and embarrassing myself. And that was one of those things <laughs> I think of as a regret. <laughs> given right, you given know, that, that situation that was, again, you would not do that. <laughs> yeah, I wish I, that was one of the very good situations where I'm like, oh, God, I really wish I wouldn't have done that, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but then. So why do you think that is? Is that just you've developed enough confidence in your decision-making process that you know at the end of the day that, you know, the outcome's the outcome and you don't question? Or or is it just, I mean, some of it, I guess, is like a zen, like you just have a zen approach to these things? I think it's just luck, Bruce. I, I think it's just, it's, just the, it's just the way I was built. Yeah. I was just from the factory that way. And I'm really lucky and it's and it's i've been able to intellectualize it later i mean that's what we do right we we have these feelings and then we intellectualize them right when we can invent <laughs> stories about what they are but no it's it's been a real blessing and it's something that i encourage you know because um other people that you know i mentor or from friends with mm-hmm. to like if they're like oh man i shouldn't have done that it's like dude you did you know if you had to do it you know same information would you, you know, it was what i thought was the right thing right yeah and go the only the only you know people say like that they don't regret the things they did as much as the things that they didn't do. Mm. Right. That's one of the things, again, I've been lucky that, you know, I'm definitely biased toward action. And that's something that like I need, I need to check myself on. You know, I think of myself as a shark and I hate that that has a negative connotation, meaning that a shark from what I understand, I'm not a marine biologist, (laughs) it has to keep moving forward. Cause I guess it can't, Can't uh, it can't move the water through its gills on its own. Right. So that's how it, respirates is by forward motion. And I kind of, I feel that way. If I start getting itchy, if I still, I start getting itchy, which is actually bad oftentimes, mm-hmm. because if things are going really well, I will annoy the hell out of people. Oh yeah. Just it's like, it's like, Oh, well, what if we, John, it's going, what if we, John is fine. <laughs> what? No, uh, John. Right. And what's good is my executives know that about yeah. me and they're good about that. And I very often, I do my uh, a Tom Cruise impression when they do that to me and I'll go, fine, 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 <laughs> fine. And I just, and I, you know, fake stomp out of the room and that's kind of my, 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 my shtick. I love it. But you know, you got to know yourself, yeah. right? And that's what a lot of this stuff is, is. What is my, what is my bias? My bias is toward action. 
Okay, I'm wanting to act on something. Let's stop with this for sit with this for a second. How does this feel? Like, right, you know, or if, if you're lucky enough to have an executive who are not lucky enough, if you're smart enough or good Ooh, to have an executive like who will go tell you to go screw yourself, that's very helpful. <laughs> well, how did you? So, uh, there's two things in there that I'm fascinated about. One is I, every time we kind of get into this topic of core values and, you know, what, what kind of how do I make decisions, things like that, I always try to impress them on people. A really good core value has positive and negative attributes, right? Like, it helps to a lot of the yes. time, but it can actually the be a foible side. a lot of the time, right? So I like this idea that this bias towards action has served you well in many, many cases, but you've had to kind of acknowledge and watch out for the times that it's not going to serve you well and put up the guardrails and, and the systems in place to prevent you on that. But this idea of surrounding yourself then with a team that can do that, I think one of the, the biggest things I talk to CEOs about is building out their leadership team needs to be a function of their approach and strategies and capabilities and how do we balance and how do we you know create a well-rounded team based on the strategy we're trying to execute. And and a lot of times what I see is CEOs will, will, will look at another CEO and they'll say, well, they have people that look like this, so I should have people look like this. And I'm like, well, no, they're a completely different person than you are. To, yes. Tell me more about how you've kind of found people to bring in to kind of either complement, balance, you know, protect you in different yeah. ways. What, what, how, have, I mean, that's the, how have you learned that? That's the advantage, right? I mean, that's what, you know, that's what we was, that's the advantage of owning a business, being an entrepreneur, is you've, you can build your team. You build your own dream team. Yeah. And one of the things yeah. that we need to make sure that we're doing, that we we actually have is a team and not just a bunch of people that do the stuff you tell them to do. Yeah. And there's a difference, right? I think I am not a sports guy at all. I'm not confident what season it is, although now there's no no season at all. Exactly. No one is. <laughs> but anyway, but there's, um, there's a, uh, I have a favorite coach. He's the only coach I know. Bill Belichick. And I think he is football, right? And I think he's for the yes. the Patriots, right? That, the Patriots, very good. Ah, yes. Check, ah. check. <laughs> so what's one of his, his motto is do your job. And I love it. It's so simple. But if you really drill down into it, right? Quarterback, you know, it's like snaps it and throws it like whatever. He's got his role, right? The linebacker's got his role, right? But they aren't worried about doing each other's jobs. And they ain't going to micromanage each other. You really can't micromanage, you know, the quarterback when if you're the linebacker when somebody's smashing against you, right? You can't. You got to do your job and everybody in it's got to do their job now. And that sound and that can be, but it's deeper than that, right? If you're not doing your job, everybody else has got to run around picking up the pieces that you're leaving behind. Yeah. But one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that while they're doing their job, that they're actually getting better at their lives. That's really what their job is, isn't it? And one, you know, we Mm -hmm. as a CEO, I think that's one of the things that we can really, really, really do besides just providing a job as a paycheck for these people. How do we develop them as people? And then how does that benefit me as the owner? And so, you know, so, I mean, it's kind of, it's going a little far off track, but because, you know, one of the things is, you know, how do we develop an executive team that is comfortable telling you to go screw yourself? But no, it's, that'll be a good title of a book, by the way. So, (laughs) if only I wanted to write a book, I do not. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, um, because, because, we need to have those guardrails in, right? And so, you know, right now I'm thinking I have my executive, uh, Kevin Feku, uh, he's my VP on the audiobook side. And then Robin Lai is, uh, is my executive on the education and the podcasting side. And, um, they're very comfortable with me that way. And I guess I've, I guess they know that. I guess they know that. I'm thinking, you know, cause I've, I always encouraged it as I've learned to do this. I've not done it when I was younger, but I've learned to ask more yeah. questions. I've learned to not value my own opinion so highly. You know, like I have my own opinion, 
but my opinion is only mine. And I don't even know how much I care about my opinion. Like, you know, you and me, Bruce, might like different kinds of pizza, right? Everybody likes pizza. It's not possible not to like it. But we might like different kinds. It doesn't make you wrong. And it doesn't make me wrong. And so when you think about, like, well, what's the best kind of pizza? Well, I like the pepperoni is the best. So I'm just going to make a a pepperoni restaurant. Well, dude, no. Do some surveys. Do different things. Figure it out. Don't do your opinion. Do what is best in the situation. And it's hard to know those things, right? And sometimes... You know, sometimes, you know, I go a lot on, on gut and a lot on emotion, but if I, like, if I'll try to push against Kevin or Robin on something and they come back at me really hard, that's when I'm like, as opposed to like a gentle, right? You know what I mean? Oh, well, I don't know, John. Well, oh, no, no, no. But if they're real strong, you come back hard. I will like kind of use that headbutt to go, oh, wow, they push back real hard on this. Huh. Yeah. What's going on? Am I missing something? Yeah. You know, that's kind yeah. of what I, because if it's sort of like, well, I don't know, you know, maybe, okay, fine. Well, I think you should do it. Okay. Well, then I'll try it. Okay. Well, and that takes, that takes, I mean, I, I, I see so many executives that's so caught up in their own head in terms of trying to get, develop their ideas and how to kind of, that, how to persuade other people rather than really just listening, <laughs> you know, just listening, observing, mm-hmm. you know, verbal, nonverbal communication, like, and getting, I, I think some of the best executives that I've worked with have that ability to just pick up on that stuff and then get curious about it and incorporate it into mm-hmm. them, you know, into their knowledge and data and their thinking, because it's, you know, that's the best way you're going to get insight. Well, and it, see, it depends on what your goal is too. So, I mean, one of the things is too, is I'm trying to develop my people, right? I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. event, you know, eventually, you know, I want to be working, you know, 15 minutes a week and these guys just rocking. And part of it is because, and that's part of my goal, right? And so, so let's, so let's say, you know, I have an idea and I want to push, you know, really hard on, on Kevin and he'll come back at me really hard. And then I'll be like, well, okay, John, so hold on. What's the goal? Is this idea that I have all that important? Maybe it's more important. Kevin knows that I'm listening to him and can try it yeah. himself. Maybe that's the most important thing, right? Maybe I'm not right. Maybe yeah. I am. Maybe Kevin's not right. But really the important thing is that Kevin's got to do this, right? Yeah. And a lot of times. The bigger. The bigger yeah. Goal. I mean, that, and that, you know, and sometimes, you know, I've been wrong. Sometimes he's been wrong. Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> But the thing yeah. is, is that we're a team and that's, yeah. you know, no and those are hard gears yeah. for me. Like I've even been having a problem. So, so we've been launching this new, this new podcast division. Right. And, um, you know, I, I'd resisted years, uh, getting into podcasting because I really couldn't figure it out. And my, fortunately my studios and my, my guys have been so busy doing audiobooks, And, and every time I tried to do some little podcast thingy, cause it looked like a bright, shiny thing. It kind of got in the way of like one of my, you know, big, 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 big clients projects. And I was just like, Oh God, what did I make? Like, you know, $3,000 on this stupid podcast. Who cares? You know what I mean? So, it, so anyway, so I, you know, my partner in the, in the, uh, my podcast division, which is called boom, boom integrated. She, I remember she approached me, but she said, why aren't you doing podcasting? And I just told, you know, the story that I just said, and she's like, ah, I sure she just said this nicer, but she said, well, basically you're not thinking about it. Right. Dummy. And I was like, well, educate me. Right. I love asking questions. Yeah. So we go to lunch and she explains, John, what you need to be is an agency, full service agency, beginning to end, not just a production. Cause I'm only thinking about production. I'm an audio, I'm an audio yeah. production guy. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole thing like, you know, to, to, to a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. You know, so to me, everything's an audio production problem. Right. So, <laughs> so I can make that sound better. So, and she has all this experience in business development in the, in the, you know, all in travel and all these different areas. Like, to, and so I was like, Oh, I like this idea. The agency full service beginning to end. This sounds like a business. And then when we walked out of the restaurant, I ran into some acquaintance I have from my building uh, where my office is. And I was like, Hey, did you guys think about podcasting? And he's like, you know what? Let's talk about that. So we talk about yeah, flow. Yeah. I ask a question. 
Instead of, instead of telling her, and so she asked me a question. I answered it with a question, not with a, well, because podcasting is like blah, 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 blah. All the things that I quote knew, unquote, I said, tell me about that. And then yeah. because I asked questions, I walked out of the restaurant and then we ended up getting a customer and we ended up helping them get that podcast funded for half a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. And so there's oh. a little flow involved in that, right? And now, mm-hmm. and so a lot of this has just been me listening and me doing my job. My job is, you know, uh, we've got the Grammy winning studio and all this blah, 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 like, you know, and then, <laughs> and, and so then I give some credibility to the audio production side and then Adrian goes out there, you know, business development like crazy. Well, we have three number one podcasts right now. We have the number one in the sports category with just women sports. We have the number one in a, uh, in travel, with Afar mag- Travel Tales by Afar Magazine. I don't know if it's still number one. It, it wasn't a debut. Yeah. And Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, uh, which was, at least for a while, number one in the education section on podcast charts. I did this because I'm listening, because I'm asking questions. Yeah. When yeah. I started talking to Rebel Girls, I started talking to them about audiobook production. And then I shut up. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, she's talking yeah. to me about podcasting. And I was like, oh, okay, we're talking about podcasting. It's so true. <laughs> just I find so many entrepreneurs like just... Listen to what your audience, what your customers, what your clients are saying, and then find the opportunities in there rather than trying to push. It's just so, so just the, that flow state idea, just so much easier to be with. You them. know, one, one of the reasons why I, that resonates so strongly with me is because of how badly I botched that up when I was younger so often. Yeah. I, did, I remember my first business trip to, to, to England was a while back, and I, I just bought the educational division of my company from, uh, you know, the from Paul Rubin, who sold it to me. So I was going over there to like, okay, there's this one customer that I need to get and they just weren't working enough with us. And I'm going to go and I'm, man, I'm going to go sell them, man. I'm going to sell them, my God. So I went into their 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 beautiful, beautiful offices and I just start right away, just like barreling down to selling, 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 selling. And he was like, you know what? We don't actually like to work that way. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> to this day, I don't do business with them. And that was like, 15 years ago. And I did business with everybody else and not with them because I wasn't listening. I was trying to sell him something he didn't Mm -hmm. want. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, okay, I learned that lesson. (laughs) Yeah. John, this has been a pleasure. Um, If people want to find out more about you, about John Marshall Media, what's the best way to get that information? JohnMarshallMedia.com. And for our our podcasting division, uh, BoomIntegrated.com. You can Google them both. Great. I will make sure that, yeah, I'll put those links in the show notes so people can click through and get it. John, a pleasure as always. Great to catch up. Great to hear how you're doing. Uh, Great conversation. I think this, uh, the whole idea of being in flow, uh, really kind of thinking about your decision making, you know, kind of that intuitive side of things, you know, super important for any leader out there. And great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.